hope your week has been uh, good. I know that it has, for many, has been eventful. Uh, just this week, recalling here in the in the life of our church family, uh, Henry's dad uh, had a long-awaited heart surgery and is doing well and uh, hopes to come home this week. We're grateful for that. Blake uh, had his uh, broken foot uh, surgically repaired and his home recuperating and uh, we're grateful for that and continue to pray for healing for him. Uh, Anne's grandmother, she 96, 98, 98 year old grandmother that has walked every day for, I don't know, 40 years I guess, uh, was hit by a car Friday and uh, she's still in ICU. Want to continue to remember her uh, as she um, as, as she recovers, uh, you can imagine being hit by cars difficult for all, but for 98 year old would be particularly difficult. And uh, the Lord's been merciful, but um, and uh, we uh, trust Him to continue to be so and carry out His will in the course of that. Thank you for praying for Janice. Uh, she's home and recovering well from her procedure. Uh, just a lot of stuff going on in our lives. Uh, uh, challenges I know at work, uh, trying to negotiate family and school and all of those things. Uh, I'm not insensitive to that and I pray for you regularly. And in the midst of all of that, we have all these challenges going on. Uh, we are still trying to work through uh, in our own lives uh, how to walk and to be faithful. Uh, how to know God, uh, how to love Him. Uh, and then we look at our own lives and our hearts and wonder sometimes, do we really love Him? Or is that just something that is said? We just something that we have uh, grown up hearing or something that we uh, run into when we come here on Sundays and there's this lingering thought about what it is to, to know and to, and to love God and, and how to live that out. Uh, our text this morning is Exodus 19. We uh, started there, uh, or actually ended there last week. Uh, we want to go back to Exodus 19. Uh, while you're finding that, I want you to multitask, and I want you to turn to the 24th Psalm as well. Um, you've probably already noticed over the last several weeks that we have uh, looked back at passages of scripture where the exodus event <clears throat> has been referenced and recalled we have done that because we don't need to leave exodus uh, and we will in four weeks after this week this is our eighth week and well, we're given 12 weeks to it uh, but we don't need to leave exodus without understanding the significance of what god uh, did in the exodus what it points to of what he was communicating in his very act and in his work. So understand we're reading about the acts and the works of God. We're not just reading some kind of historical narrative, though that is exactly what it is. But in Psalm 24, 1 through 6, uh, I want us to hear these words. And we'll make the connection in just a moment. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof truth stated okay the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein truth stated for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers now this question and this is the question that's before us today who shall ascend the hill of the lord and who shall stand in his holy place? The psalmist goes on to say, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
I want us to begin here this morning with this question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? I may state it a different way, another way. Who will come into the presence of the Lord? There is embedded in this question another question. The question is, who is worthy to enter into the presence of God? Who is worthy to enter into the presence of God? There is that side of the equation. And the other side of the equation is, is who ultimately will be able to enter into the presence of God? So there's who is worthy and who will. And then for fear... Uh, of remaining kind of in the hypothetical and miss the very practical and personal implication of this, I want us to pause and ask this question. Who of us will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Not hypothetical then. Who of us will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Will you ultimately enter into the presence of of God. And if you believe you will, what do you base your confidence on? This is the concern of our text today in Exodus 19. And we stated this each week that Exodus is not just a great story, not just a historical narrative recorded in the annals of history. It isn't a model of deliverance, as some may think, from physical and, and psychological oppression and imprisonment. That's not what it is. It isn't a fundamental component for liberation theology, as some have tried to make it. Now, when I say liberation theology, let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm referring to a strain of theology uh, that took shape in the context of, of neo-Orthodox Christianity. And it was kind of founded and grounded in South and Central America in the mid-20th century, even before. It was tied philosophically and politically with Marxism uh, and socialist form of government. Uh, pieces of it surface today, I think, even as we uh, look at theological liberals uh, express similar ideas in the context of this wave of Marxism and socialism uh, that's being pushed here in the United States. But, but nevertheless, that's not what the Exodus is about. Uh, the Exodus wasn't about freeing the slaves here in the United States. That's not what it was about. What Exodus is it is a story of God and how He works redemptively for, among, and through specifically chosen and called out people. It's the story of God and a picture of redemption with the laser dot on Christ. That's what the Exodus is. In every act that God does, that is recorded in Exodus, the laser is pointed on Christ, to Christ. It's the reason you saw the flow of the service this morning and the flow of the service each week. We begin, we begin with acknowledging a holy, a glorious, a righteous, and untouchable God every week. Why? Well, because we have a tendency, particularly in American Christianity, in the last quarter century and even before, to just willy-nilly come to God. Now, mind you, there's not a problem with you bringing a cup of coffee or water or sun drop in. That's not the point. Me, I've got my Diet Mountain Dew down there. Um, it's not. But we have seen in the course of American Christianity this laid-back attitude in the way that we often come into the presence of God. He just accepts us the way we are and we come the way we are 
And it is the attitude of our hearts that we just come anyway. We're going to find out this morning that we don't. We can't. And most of the rest of what we will look at in Exodus over the course of the next four weeks will be pointing us to the fact that we just don't really, nearly, casually walk into the presence of God. Yet in Christ there is a way that we are able to come into the presence of God, that we are able to ascend unto the hill of the Lord. That we are able to go up into the mountain that God forbids Israel to come up into. He says you can approach it, but you are not to go up into it. And yet in Christ, He is pointing us to the fact that yes, we can come up into Him. But it is on His terms because He's God. He knows what is best for us. And it is done His way. Last week we introduced the first part of this account. Uh, we'll just kind of track through this. So you can go back to Exodus 19 and we'll spend the, most of our time here. Verses 1 and 2, let's read them together. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So we're into the third month. They have been left, they, have, they, left, uh, they, they, they left Egypt, and they are on their journey toward, really, Sinai, because that was the destination that God had given Moses back in chapter 3. He said, you're going to deliver the people, and you're going to come to this mountain, and I am going to meet with you and the people here. In other words, I'm going to get you away from there and I'm going to bring you here. Flip back over to chapter 3 and you'll see that. We know ultimately he is taking them to the promised land. But chapter 3, if you will, look in verse 12. He's talking to Moses. He said, but I will be with you and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. It's when you have brought the people out of Egypt and shall serve God on this mountain. He's talking about Sinai. That's what he's talking about. Okay? It's important for us to remember that Israel didn't arrive at Sinai by chance. We've already seen that God has told Moses that is exactly where he is to take them to. Moses knew where the place was. Because that's where God had met Moses there in the burning bush. That mountain, that bush that he saw was there on that mountain. That's where he went. And God is calling him back there and telling him he's going to come. So it's not by chance that they come. And remember that this is God's plan and he has led them each step of the way. Into and through hardship and challenge. In fact, I was thinking through it. By the time they get to Sinai, two months, set aside what they saw and witnessed in Egypt. But just in this two-month journey, close to 400 miles, here's what they have encountered. They felt the threat of being killed by the Egyptians or at least taken back as slaves. And they already knew what that would be. Because you remember how difficult it had gotten in the last days before they were delivered. If they had to go back as slaves, it would only become more difficult. They witnessed their salvation as God held back the water of the Red Sea and allowed them to walk across a dry riverbed. Then they saw the destruction of the Egyptian army by the hand of God. Remember, Israel never lifted a sword in that whole encounter. They faced the prospect of having no clean water to drink at Elam. And what did God do? God made the water sweet. He made it where they could drink it. It was not bitter, but it was purified. That's what God does. Their food supply was exhausted, and they believed that they would starve. And what did God do? Well, God gave them manna, bread in the morning, and quail in the evening. 
And by the way, that continued along through this journey, so it wasn't in an isolated spot. That's how he fed them and took care of them. Again, they found themselves in a waterless wilderness only to have God provide water. They were attacked by the Amalekites, and Israel prevailed by the hand of God. So these first months have been eventful and memorable, and we know that to be true. You know why? Because they are recounted throughout the course of Israel's history. They never forgot those days. And they passed them along to their children, and their children passed them along to their children, and God had them written down by the Holy Spirit speaking to people because those were significant days. And all of that took place in two months. Now, I've had some pretty tough two-month periods of course, in the course of my life. I can tell you that in any two-month stretch, I have not had all of those things take place within just two months. And you've had some tough two months too. But I don't think you've had anything that could compare to that. Maybe. But I don't think so. And now they are at their destination. Where they'll remain for almost a year. They're at Sinai and they're going to be there for almost a year. And during that year, they're going to receive the law. And we're going to talk about that next week receive instructions on how they are to meet God and relate to them because remember, this is a new thing. Think back. We're in Exodus. What we have before Exodus is Genesis. And what we have probably in that time during Genesis is Job. And we've looked at Job. We have not seen a group of people come together to worship God. I'm not saying it didn't happen. We just don't have any record of that. We don't have any record of God relating to a large group of people. And we don't have any recollection of God relating to a large group of people that He has chosen. We have seen Him relate to individuals whom He's chosen. But not a nation of people. And that is about to happen, and in the course of that year at Sinai, God teaches them, instructs them, and points them as to how they are to relate to Him, and He demonstrates over and over and over again how He's going to relate to them. It's a beautiful picture, more than just a story. We'll look at this later, but one of the reasons why I mentioned that we just can't willy-nilly, casually walk into the presence of God because of what we're going to see today take place as they come to this mountain. They're going to learn how to meet with God and relate to Him and they're going to learn how to do everything that is necessary for setting up the tabernacle. We read in Exodus 40, verses 1 and 2, that the Lord gave the instructions to erect the tabernacle on the first day of the first month of their second year. And then they are there, and this is what is interesting, in that month they celebrate their second Passover, they celebrated the first in Egypt. They celebrate their second Passover. And shortly after they celebrate that Passover, we find in Numbers chapter 10, in verse 11, in the second year, in the second month, okay, they, they finished Passover. On the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony. And the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They're on their journey. They're on their way. But God spends a year getting them ready to take the next step. Now I want you to think about that regarding you, regarding us. 
What's God doing in your life, even right now, in preparing you to take the next step? Some of you have not professed Christ yet. God is speaking to your heart, preparing you to take the next step. Some of us are believers, and there are steps yet to be taken in the course of our life to fulfill the purpose for which God has called us out and has saved us. He is preparing us as a church to take the next step. Always at work, always guiding, always moving, and at times pausing for a year to prepare for the next step. Verses 1 and 2 help us see where we are in the process here chronologically and geographically. We're there in Sinai. But I want us to move on and consider the next few verses. We looked at them briefly last week. But look at verse 4. We'll back up in verse 3. They sailed out at Rephidim, verse 2, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Adam referenced this earlier. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I want you to notice what God's doing. He has chosen them not because of their works, not because of their beauty, not because of their particular skills, not because of their intelligence, and certainly not because of their power. Because at every turn, everything that they have had to have to move forward, they have been unable to accomplish on their own, God alone has provided everything that they have needed. Now, I've just, you know, kind of been thinking. You set out on a journey. Um, we rode up to we rode up to Duke on Thursday morning. Janice, of course, Janice is this is one of Janice's things. She had a basket of food that she couldn't eat, packed up. I know the basket weighed 10 or 12 pounds. It had grapes and it had cookies and it had all these kinds of chips and those kinds of things, most of which I don't eat. But she had them all packed up in that basket for a journey that if we had just eaten that would have been plenty to get us back whenever we were going. But this is a nation of people, somewhere close to a million people, set out and leave Egypt and they are two months into their journey, less than two months, and their food supply is exhausted. And God puts them in a place where they are having to learn to depend on Him. Now I want you to think about the last time, and I'm, I'm talking about realistically, that you confronted the reality that you have to depend on Him. I'm not saying we don't work. I'm not saying we don't strive. I'm not saying we don't do our best. But when is the last time you've been in a situation where you could do all you could do, but that wasn't going to be enough? Well, that's where they were physically with their physical needs but all of that is ultimately pointing to where they are spiritually. And that's what God is showing us. Not just about Israel, because we are quick to beat up on Israel. 
We're quick to look at their disobedience. We're quick to look at their inability. As God said, look there again. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. In other words, what he did to the Egyptians, what took place in Egypt, but most importantly, what took place at the Red Sea was a picture of God's salvation. And we look at that and we say, that is incredible. And if I had seen that, I would follow God to the ends of the earth and I would never look back. And the whole point that God is making to them and is making to us is that we have seen something greater than the division of the Red Sea. We've seen something greater than throwing a log uh, into water to make it sweet. We've seen something greater than seeing a staff strike a rock in a wilderness and water coming forth, enough water, a spring of water, a fountain of water that will water and take care of the water needs of a million people. We can't even get that kind of water supply now in Pender County. And we have all the well drilling equipment and stuff that's necessary, and they're delaying the development around in that area now because they don't have enough water pressure. And yet, Moses strikes a rock that provides water for a million people. And God brings that about. And we say, if we had seen that, and the whole point that God is making here is that you have seen this work of salvation. Well, what work has He shown us? He has shown us Christ. He has shown us Christ on a cross. He has shown us, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. That's what He has shown us. And that is ever before us. And that is the reason that when we gather that is most of what we talk about because God has held that act, His work of salvation up before us and we are where Israel was. That's where we are. Do we follow Him? Do we trust Him? He's called on them to reflect on His saving work. Why? Because he wants them to see that everything that he has done has been driven by love and the proper response back is to do what? Would be to love him back. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 because I want you to see that Moses is going to... Deuteronomy is kind of Moses' last word before... He dies, and last word of instruction before Joshua uh, takes uh, uh, the people into Canaan. Moses is not going to be able to go. Um, kind of, it's, it's Moses' last sermon, if you will. But in chapter 6, in verse 4, what we know of and what Israel will come to call the Shema, restates what is taking place here in chapter 19. And in chapter 19 of Exodus, God is setting up to communicate with them covenant language, His purpose in covenant, what that means for them. And then in chapter 24, after we finish with the law, then, then that covenant will be sealed by God. But He is stalking in covenant language when He is telling them, follow me, obey me, and then, and then Moses restates it in this way by the Holy Spirit. And here's how he puts it here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what is the response then? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. So what's the response? The response is to love. And what I want us to be careful of here in chapter 19 
is to not begin to see what God is doing here as a conditional covenant and where He makes them His people because they obey Him. That is not what He is getting ready to do. When He is getting ready to show them the law, He is going to show them His heart. He is going to show them the direction for their life and what He is calling on them to do is the same thing that He calls on us to do. The reason why we press this issue of belief and what it means, He is calling on them to trust Him in every area of their life. And what He is saying when He says there, you shall be My treasure possession among all peoples for all the earth is Mine and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He is saying you will be fulfilling the purpose that I have called you out for as long as you are obeying my word. In other words, our loving obedience to God ultimately impacts our witness in the course of the purpose that God has for us. It doesn't change once He has called us out, once He has saved us, once He has justified us, as we spoke about last week, once He has done those things, it doesn't change that position. But it does impact and affect how our position in Him lives out and carries out the saving purpose and the purpose of His saving work. Let's press on. That's who God is. Okay? So Moses came and he called the elders of the people, verse 7, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken will do. In other words, they, 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 make, a, they, they make a legitimate commitment. We want to do what you said do. We've seen your salvation. We have seen your acts. We have looked at the cross. And we have said, I want to follow I want to follow Christ. In verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe forever. Believe what? Believe that He is God. I want you to think about this. God speaking to this multitude of people. Not just through Moses, but they're going to hear God. They're going to see something at Sinai that is absolutely incredible. Just as the people saw something that was absolutely incredible in Christ Jesus. Are they going to get it? No, they're not going to fully get it. They're not going to fully get it. But they're going to see it. Let's read on. It says, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord... The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, listen, the Lord will come down. The Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And no hand shall touch him. In other words, he will be put to death, but you better not touch him. Now you do it by stoning him or shooting him with arrows, but you don't touch him. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. But remember, they're not to go up into the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, and do not go near a woman. What's going on here? 
holy God is coming down to the people. We, and I can't remember the hymn that we sing. Mooney, you may recall this, but there is, there's a hymn that we sing that the line is that he condescended. That is, God comes down. He's not looking down, but he actually comes down. He lowers himself. Uh, an example of that is found in Philippians chapter 2. Turn there, if you will. Talking about the Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Let each of you, in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own uh, interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among uh, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He comes down. He comes from the throne to a place of service, being a servant. And what does he do? Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God if, if, we are, if we are to meet God, God has to come to us. That's the point. That's the point. If we are to meet God, He has to come to us. And He is demonstrating here when He is coming down on the mountain. He says, I am coming down here to meet with you. I am coming down to show you who I am in the context of this covenant. I am coming to you to show you that I love you and that I care for you. But he is not stripped of his holiness. He is not stripped of his majesty. Nor should we think that we should not stand in awe of him and bow before him. And that was the point. I'm coming to you. And if we are to get to God, God has to come to us. That is the reason that Christ left his throne, condescended and came down and took the form of a servant in human form that he might die for our sins. God coming to us that's the point the people can't get to God and yet God has chosen excuse me <clears throat> God has chosen these people these people not just any people but these people to come to so what must they do to prepare themselves to come into the presence of God well, the point here is that they need to be clean. They need to be clean. And so Moses comes and acts in the way that Christ acted, advocating. That was the reason we looked at that First John text today. You ladies worked through that, I think, last week. Where they have this advocate, Christ, who is the propitiation for the sin, and in the course of this propitiation provides justification. He bears the wrath of God because He is righteous and He can do that. And in bearing the wrath of God, then as we trust Him, He then in turn justifies us with forgiveness in that our sin has been atoned for in His death, and then His righteousness is poured out over us to cleanse us so that we may do what? So that we may ascend unto the hill of the Lord. That we may ascend unto the hill of the Lord. We need to be clean, which tells us what? 
is that we are dirty, that we are guilty, that we are unrighteous, that we are not worthy to go into the presence of God. And it tells us, because God gives Moses the prescription on what they need to do to be clean, it tells us is that we don't have the formula to clean ourselves up. We don't have the solution to clean ourselves up that we can come into the presence of God. I don't have that solution. I wrestle with sin every day, and I don't have the solution for cleaning me up. And you don't either. They didn't. Not only does God come down to them, He comes down to them to prepare them so that they may come to Him. That's what He does for us in Christ. Christ alone is the solution. Christ alone is the solution. Look in verse 16. On that third day, on that morning, there were thunders and lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast so that all in, of the people... <coughs> it's hard to figure out how to cover up one of these mics to call and take one away, but it's hard to figure out how to cover it up. And all the people in the camp trembled. When is the last time you trembled before God? When's the last time you trembled before God? Let me ask it this way. Has there ever been a time in your life that you trembled before God? I, I, I wonder. I, I wonder. I, I'm not just wondering about you, but I, I'm trying to think. When is the last time that I... <clears throat> that, that I was that I was so captured by the holiness of God that I trembled before Him. They did. They responded better to His holiness than I have. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. <clears throat> now Mount Sinai was wrapped, <coughs> was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. There's this earthquake, and the mountain is shaking, and the ground that they're standing on is shaking. And this cloud has descended over the mountain. Probably all of us have been up into the western part of the state. Have you ever gotten up there in the morning and looked where a cloud had descended over the mountain? It's kind of eerie feeling, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's glorious. But it's just kind of eerie feeling. You can't see through it. But you see the cloud, and this whole mountain was covered in this cloud, and the mountain was trembling and shaking, and there was fire, almost like a, like a, a volcanic eruption that is taking place in the midst of all of this. And with all of that going on, there is this blast that comes from this trumpet. And all of this is taking place, and the people are there, and the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, verse 20, to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called from the top of the mountain, and Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, and the people are hearing this. They're hearing God call Moses' name, calling him to come up. And the Lord said to Moses, 
go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. And also the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate them lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it and the Lord said to him go down come up bringing Aaron with you but do not let the priest and the people break through to come to the Lord lest he break out against them so Moses went down to the people and he told them I want you to imagine for just a minute Everything that is taking place there. Then think about Isaiah going into the throne room and it is consumed with smoke. And think for just a minute about Jesus on the cross and there is this great earthquake. And then track, if you will, for just a minute mentally over to Revelation where the whole throne room is filled with smoke. It's the glory of God and it is a place that is untouchable. Unless God brings you in to Him. His point is, is that the people can't Come, but I can bring them to me. And then Jesus offers what? He says, come unto me. Who? Yahweh. Come unto me, all you who are weak and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus says, come be with me. Come follow me. God coming down calling us to Himself. In closing, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. He's referring back to that day. That's what he's talking about. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly, <coughs> the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What did the people get that day? They got God. We sang Christ is our treasure earlier, and there was a reason for that. There is a misunderstanding about who God is that God clears up for us and cleared up for all of us right there in Exodus chapter 19. And that is that God is not a God to be trifled with. He's not a God to be passed off. 
He's not a God to be patted on the back. That's not who God is. When the presence of God descending upon a mountain causes the earthquake and a cloud covers that mountain and trumpet blasts that cause people to tremble and fall on their face and when they hear the voice of God, they say, please don't say anything else. Not because, not because it hurt their ears, but because they realized that they were in the presence of holiness and holiness had come to them. But not just had He come to them, He came for them. And He did not come to them that day to judge them. He come that day, He came that day to state that they were His precious people because He had chosen them. One of the struggles that we have today is that God is presented in such a way that folks lightheartedly move around Him and flaunt around Him and speak about Him. And God is not to be trifled with in that way. And yet He has condescended to come to us to make us His people. Through who? Through whom? Through Christ Jesus. The treasure that we have is not in the fact our problems go away. The treasure that we have is not that the difficulties that we are dealing with somehow or another just go away. The treasure that we have in God condescending and coming to us is that in His coming to us, He comes to us to give us Himself. Let's pray together. Father, help us to see this truth. Help us to see it. Help us to long for it. Break our hearts until we do long for You in that way. Help us to see your majesty and your glory. And then help us to see and know the tenderness of your love toward us. That longs to through your word, which is eternal. To deliver us into your presence. Where our joy is made complete. And we are filled finally and forevermore because we are with you, your precious people that you have declared precious because you have loved us. In Christ's name, amen.